Hello and welcome into episode 16 of the Stomp the Bus podcast. I'm your host, Mark Harris, along with Colton Dodgson. And Colton, what did you do this past weekend uh, with no Arizona State football to satiate your college football desires? Oh, did I ever say that it satiated my desires? Oh, I don't know. Um, I mean, that's that's uh, pretty optimistic of you to assume that. <laughs> um, no, I, I watched some goalposts be thrown in a river. Um, <laughs> I watched, what else did I watch? Oh, Utah beat, um, USC. That was cool. Those, both those games were awesome. Yeah. I walked into a, a, a bar down the street from my house or from my, my apartment in, uh, I live near North Scottsdale, right? And, uh. It's maybe a mile, two miles from my house. And I walk in and it's like wall to wall packed with um, Nebraska fans. So I guess this is a Nebraska bar, which you'd be shocked because I think it's like, I don't know if this is a real statistic, but one out of every three sports bars you walk into in the greater Phoenix area, wherever you may be, uh, is just randomly a Nebraska bar. (laughs) Um, for no reason at all. Um, so this place is just a Nebraska bar. I walk in, um, and this guy is just talking to me about, um, Nebraska football and I'm just pretending to care. Right. Um, and then I just kind of embraced that. They lose to Purdue. Um, and that, that was kind of, that was the kind kind of the end of my experience on that bandwagon. Um, not a fun bandwagon to be on. No, no, not very fulfilling. Like, I, I would not trade being an ASU fan for Nebraska right now. Or never. Um, in the past, sure. Like, in the 90s, definitely. But Yeah, I don't know. I, it was just a really odd experience. Um, yeah, Mich- who did – I watched Michigan, Penn State. Blowout. Um, had the under in that one. Never want to see a team score 14 points on – uh, a pick six and a quarterback 70 yard run setting up a touchdown, um, mm. to, to blow your under. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my weekend summed up. I think I don't know if I missed any key points there. Did not watch that Stanford Notre Dame game. Honestly, I looked at the show sheet right now. Um, and this is the first time this is news to me that Stanford won that game is what I'm trying oh, okay. to say. Okay. I had no idea. Um, yeah. but forgot it was played. Um, so yeah, that's, that's cool that Stanford won that game, but I'm sure we'll get to that later. What about you, Mark? What, yeah, did, what did you do this weekend without your satiated appetite? Uh, it definitely was a pretty forgettable game, Stanford Notre Dame, uh, unless you're the Golden Domers. But yeah, you know, I, uh, went down to LA actually, saw our, oh, good, that's right. I forgot good about friend that. Jacob Janauer. Um, saw no, our other good friend, Noah Friedman, um, good, you know, good hanging out with those guys. Saw my brother who lives down there. So, um, good stuff. Was able to watch some college football when I wasn't watching the Mariners go 18 innings without scoring a run, uh, to end their season. Um, Ooh. that was a lot of fun, but Brutal. such a typical way for them to lose, but it is what it is. Uh, yeah, no, the, uh, Man, it was good seeing USC lose. I was watching that in a bar, and there are multiple USC people there. So good to see them lose, even though their offense played really well. Uh, but, yeah, 
definitely it's it's definitely nice um as a fan to just in in the middle of football season you just kind of get a week off you know from being like emotionally invested and with this year's ASU team it's a little different than say our NFL teams or good ASU teams in the past where you actually like really do care what happens week to week you know um, yeah no I'm never really a big fan of the bye it always annoys me interesting I I like to just obviously it's buys are extremely important to the players but I'm always just annoyed that I have to wait Interesting. Two weeks to watch again. I definitely used to feel that way, but sometimes it's just nice to kind of just on the bye week you can't lose. That's the thing. Like, there's no chance of you losing, and so that's kind of why I like it as a fan. So maybe I'm just scarred yeah. from past experience. The goal is to go one and zero on the bye week. That's right. Exactly. Uh, well, ASU. Um, is done with its bye week for the year, or at least its first one. I'll have to look at the schedule. I think they only have one. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they only have one. Yeah. So ASU is done with their bye week. And up next, um, a trip to the raucous environment at Stanford this Saturday. Um, this is not like – look, this isn't a – an exciting game, really. If like if you're looking at this game from afar, you're not like, ooh, can't wait to put away some time to watch Stanford ASU uh, at 1 o'clock on Saturday on the Pac-12 network. But I think this game is actually a lot more important um, for ASU and the future of the football program than people – than, than people might think. And it's because I feel like if Iguana loses this game – then they basically have no. Ch- it, it's going to be that much tougher to keep him, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, but I feel like that's every game it, except for maybe UCLA. Well, wow. and that's so the reason why I do this one in particular is because this is a winnable game. You know, like if he loses to Colorado, then there's just no like. And hey, Colorado won two over the weekend, uh, but then there's yeah. no. I mean, I what? think they're all winnable. Um, except for mm, I don't know. At UCLA is going to be tough. At Wazoo is tough, but I'd say all of them. I mean, I don't want to say UCLA is unbeatable. They look really they're not, good. No, they're, they're not. not unbeatable. I mean, if we were to power rank these in terms of like best chances that ASU has to win, I think I'd put Stanford as the second highest on that list. Behind Colorado. Right. I think I'm going Colorado, Stanford, uh, U of A, Oregon State, Washington State, UCLA. UCLA being the most difficult, obviously. I'd probably flip Wazoo and UCLA just because Wazoo's on the road, but I get your point. That's, yeah. that's true. I guess those two could be interchangeable, but, um, I don't know. I think you're, you're absolutely right. Any loss at this juncture, even a loss to UCLA, like, Sean Aguano, we talked about it a little bit last week, but I think he's unfortunately in a situation where he, um, I can't remember who said, there's some quote that's like, be so good that they can't ignore you. And that's right. kind of the position that he ha- he's in right now. He can't just be, like, great. He unfortunately has to be, like, almost perfect. Right, right. To force and, it, hand. and it doesn't it might not even be enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. 
And it doesn't help that, uh, you know, obviously these first two games were against two of the better teams in the Pac-12. Um, obvi- I mean, the win over Washington is still huge. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, th- I mean, if he had lost that game, then there's we're really not even having a conversation, like a serious conversation about this, you know. Because, no. get, again, it gets you to two and four. Um, and with, look, like with the relative below-averageness of – the uh, opponents ASU is playing like at Stanford is not that tough of a game, you know. I don't look. I know that Stanford beat Notre Dame um, over the weekend. They won sixteen to fourteen. Where was that game played? That was in South Bend. Oh, okay. Ooh. I didn't watch a second of this game. Stanford scored a touchdown. Um, let's say they scored a touchdown on their first drive. Yep, they did. And then from then on, they had three field goals and one. <laughs> like, Notre Dame's defense is better than ours, but just the lack of – I think ASU will be able to score more on Stanford than Notre Dame did, even if ASU ends up Oh, losing. for sure. Like – Yeah. Yeah. It's nope. – I mean, look up – Oh, what were you saying? <laughs> I was asking what you were saying. Oh, uh I mean, if you're a Notre Dame fan, like, that's just got to be such a kick in the balls to lose to yeah. Stanford. I mean, this Stanford is still 2-4. and four. Like, they were 1-4 and four coming into that game. Their only win had been over Colgate, uh, which, hey, speaking of Colgate, good good first win for ASU hockey in the uh, new Mullen Arena. Uh, mm. Didn't even know that happened. That's yeah. cool. No, that – I, I want to get down to a game there. That looks a lot of fun. But anyway, um, it's just – this team isn't that good. They have some guys that will be able to uh, make some plays on you. They have, they're running back uh, Casey Filkins. He's pretty good. Um, T- T- Tanner McKee is a good quarterback. He'll probably be on an NFL roster. I don't know. Like, it's just it, he's not good enough to like totally save this Stanford team, though. You know, right? So, I mean, he'll definitely be like. He'll definitely be in the conversation as like a top two round pick, and he's gonna he's gonna be one yeah he's gonna be one of those guys that definitely rises throughout the evaluation process of like the Senior Bowl and all of that. Right, extremely talented. Um, people are gonna be like this guy, and then he'll go to the NFL and he'll be like a little bit better than people think, but still not like. Yeah, he might follow the uh, the Davis Mills path. Yeah, I know. That's what I was. That's what I was thinking of. Stamp. Yeah, Davis Mills in college plays the trail. Yeah, uh, not as long of a neck as Davis Mills. But. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, he. I I think as long as he goes to a better situation than Davis Mills did, this is definitely a guy that um, is going to be around for a little while at the NFL level. He's he's that talented. Um, yeah. And somebody else that just I, – I watched that Stanford-Oregon State game. I mentioned this last week. Um, but Bryson Tremaine coming back from that broken leg last yep, year in the Oregon him. game, I think he's going to give ASU some problems. You mentioned Casey Wilkins too. Um, these Stanford has some playmakers for sure. I, I think it's going to be one of those games where watching through the lens of uh, – I mean, what's going to happen at quarterback? Obviously, Iguano commits to Emory Jones. Right. Um, but reading this quote, my philosophy was we're never going to penalize an injured player. It sounds like he's going to see if – it sounds like Emory Jones is going to have a, a very thin margin for error if this offense 
maybe stalls out on a drive or the first couple drives, he might be quick to turn to Trenton Bourget. I think Trenton Bourget narrowed that gap quite a bit. 100%. And, and even if, I, I mean, it just sounds like, yeah, Jones isn't going to be penalized for being hurt, which I don't know. I don't even necessarily agree with that. I think if you're, if you're coaching for your job and you're going for broke, essentially you go with the hand and let right. that guy play himself out. I don't know. That's just my opinion. But, uh, regardless, I mean, ASU is going to be in a position where they might have to, if Stanford doesn't have the firepower to score like 35 points or anything like that, I don't think. Um, but they definitely have the, the ability to keep the pressure on ASU's offense. And it's going to be interesting to see how this group responds after the effort that Borgay put forth against Washington. Um, and is Emory Jones able to galvanize those guys? I, I say in a hostile environment, but this is Palo Alto. Um, so I, I don't know. I think the biggest act of hostility there is not driving a Prius. Um, so I'm not entirely sure how hostile it's going to be. Um, but yeah. That's, yeah that's you, like, you think of that one before the show? Oh yeah. I, I have a writer's room that writes all my jokes for me. Nice. Um, so I, I'm going to steal that one from the, the intern who wrote it and not give him credit because he's being paid in experience. There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, so I do agree with your point that, like, Stanford, even though – look, Stanford's not that good of a team. They're 2-4. and four. We have a better record than them. Um, and I think – oh, no, we don't have a better record than them. We're 2-4. We're and four. I'm dumb. But uh, we have a very similar type – I don't like ASU is listed as uh three point underdogs on the road, which basically means Vegas is like, okay, these teams are basically the same. Um, and that's from what I've seen this year, it's not like Stanford's they've had one good win. ASU has also had one good win. They've both blown out the one FCS opponent they've played and they've lost all their other games. The difference is um, ASU just kind of has a different vibe about it. Uh, in the wake of the Herm firing or Herma departure, whatever firing, relinquishing of his duties, whatever it was. Uh, but I and your point with the playmakers part, like ASU can't just go into this game thinking, oh, we can score you know twenty four points and win twenty four twenty. Like, and that's how a Herm team might have played. Honestly, that's how he probably would have preferred to win. But um, I, I think ASU will be able to get some yards here. Stanford defense has been bad all year. They were bad last year. And just because, you know, they had one good game against Notre Dame, I'm supposed to believe they're fixed. No, I think a lot of that is – I think a lot of Stanford holding Notre Dame to 14 points is more of a Notre Dame – highlights the Notre Dame weakness of its offense more than Stanford shutting them down. You know. Absolutely. Notre Dame is inept on offense. I've I've watched um Your quarterback went thirteen of twenty seven for one touchdown. Yeah. Like, no, I've watched a distraction. I guess you might have two quarterbacks better than this than whoever's yeah. playing it. That's, a, right that's a good point. I think both Emory Jones and Trenton Borgay right now are better than uh, whoever Notre Dame started at quarterback. I don't even know who it is. Don't care to look either. Um but you know, I've watched – I think I've watched a total of 30 minutes of Notre Dame football this year, and that's about 29 and a half minutes too much. Um, 
So I know enough to know that Stanford's defense, Stanford's defense wasn't a complete unit in that game. It's not like they just had all of the answers. Right. They were playing a team that can't score points. So. Right. And maybe Stanford made some adjustments too. Like teams, you know, defenses and offense improve and uh, get worse throughout the season. Um, but as I'm just, I'm not super worried about ASU picking up yards. I, I, like, I think ASU is going to be able to move the ball on Stanford. It just depends on are they kicking field goals or are they, you know, converting those drives into touchdowns. So um, we'll see how that goes. I think one thing, obviously, uh, earlier this week, Sean Aguano basically said he didn't I, – I haven't seen any quote where he said, like, Emory Jones is 100% going to be our starter for the Stanford game. He's basically said things – the big quote that stood out to me, and I'm getting this off uh, Sun Devil Source um, for the attribution, but he said, quote, my philosophy is we're never going to penalize an injured player, so it's Emory's job back, and we'll see how it all plays out. What yeah. that kind of indicates to me is that Emory's – and it said in the article, Emory's getting most of the reps at practice, the first-team reps, because he's healed from his uh, – concussion so like he's cleared to play he's all good um had the bye week to have extra time um it seems like Emery's definitely still getting more reps at practice and um leading the team um but like you mentioned the gap is not as big as it once was and uh a pop-up came up but the gap there isn't some huge gap there like and we saw how well Borgay could play against Washington, but there is one thing I want to bring up um, in regards to the Borgay performance, and it's that Washington's defense is just terrible. Like, it's really bad, and, like, as someone who, again, I, I grew up as a Washington fan, I still kind of follow the team. Like, they're really injured on the back end, um, and that wasn't exactly a huge strength for them anyway. I mean, both both their uh, corners are now in the NFL from last year. So, uh, you know, you fire Jimmy Lake, you don't get as much uh, defensive back uh, quality play, even though you have a better offense. But anyway, uh, basically my point is, like, Borgay did a great job. Like, to step in and to come in cold, um, like, it was a really impressive performance, you know. Like, he was making great throws and he totally just looked the part. But we have to remember that he was not going against a good defense, a defense that wasn't even fully healthy. And let's just look at what Washington's defense has done. Like, this over the weekend, Washington's defense gave up 39 points to U of A at home. Um, they, gave up they gave up 40 to UCLA. Now, that doesn't look quite as bad, but still not. Like, if you're giving up 40 points to teams, that's not good. <laughs> um, and another thing about that game is that Emory Jones – it's not like he, the it's not like the offense was doing bad when he was in there, you know. Their first drive it was a field goal and the second drive they were he basically on the play he got injured, he picked up a third and six running the ball and then by that point they were like it I think it they were they, that got them down to like the 11 yard line or something. So like he was playing well in that game and that's I I've seen some people uh kind of make a side eye at uh, or not make a side eye, but just be like question Aguano and like, hey, why are you putting? What why are you going with Jones if Borgay played so well? But our 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 look into how Borgay played this year is, you know, three quarters against a bad defense at home. 
it's, he, he played incredibly well, and so he he deserves that. But um, yeah, real quick with with the U of A Washington score, I just pulled it up real quick. Um, Washington was up forty two to twenty four at the end of the third quarter. Obviously, giving up twenty four points mm-hmm. in three quarters isn't like ideal. You're not looking at Georgia's defense, but I think a lot of times. Um, I mean, U of A scored 15 points in the fourth quarter. That game's kind of out of reach. I think a lot of times teams will take their foot off the gas pedal. Not to say that, you know, Trenton Borgay went out and lit up, like I said, this, this absolute right. unit of a defense. I, I mentioned it last week, but I think the most impressive part about that performance was, um, his ability to kind of keep Michael Penix and the Washington offense at arm's length through that entire game, right? He could have easily made the mistake. He could have easily, and you know, there was times in that game where ASU was forced to punt and Washington pick, but it wasn't like a, but it wasn't like a backbreaking like games tied. Now Washington. Because that game was tied. It was 38 38 at one point. And yeah. Right. And you know, Michael Penix continued to score points in Washington, or not Michael Penix, but like Washington's right. offense continued to score. And I think that was the most impressive part for me because it takes a lot of mental fortitude to kind of compartmentalize what's happening right there with, you know, okay, this team is top 25 in the country. This Michael Penix guy was garnering a little bit of Heisman buzz last week. Like this right. is a good offense. Um, and he was able to kind of keep them at bay and, and uh, put enough separation between, you know, the ASU and, and Washington or whatever. Right. But uh, we talked about that that margin for error for Emory Jones. And just reading that quote that we're we're kind of unpacking here, that part at the end that says we'll we'll see how it all plays out is like don't expect. Emory Jones to be able to have 85 passing yards halfway through the third quarter, we're down 10 points and he's still right. playing. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it sounds like this is going to be a situation, like I alluded, alluded to earlier, where the team knows what Trenton Bourget did last week. Sean Aguano knows what Trenton Bourget did last week. Um, with all of the implication surrounding, you know, the job and the team and turning this around, it, it seems like it's all building toward Emory Jones kind of has an uphill battle here. I think he has to come out and play his best football of the season, which it, it feels like a win-win. I mean, right. I'm not yeah. saying Borgay is going to come out and maybe, maybe it was just a product of Washington's defense and not necessarily him being the answer or anything like that. Um, but I think either Emory Jones comes out, lights it up, ASU wins this game, or Trenton Borgay comes out and ASU knows has some clarity at that position moving forward. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of what it sounds like is keep an eye on what happens throughout this game. Um, because Emory Jones doesn't have this job like locked up. Right. Right. Yeah. That I agree with that for sure. Um, and, you know, like, look, Aguano, this could all be gamesmanship. Maybe he's going to go with start a, uh, Trenton Bourget the whole time, you know. Mm. Uh, because, I mean, if you're Stanford, you probably have to prepare a little differently for each guy, you know. Jones is much more of a running threat than Bourget yeah. is. And so, 
this is what you know this is what coaches do from high school level to the pro level they're trying to you know have as much whatever little thing they can do to make the opponent worry about something that may not even matter um it's like that you know when Peyton Manning like half the things he said at the line of scrimmage were just like dummy dummy calls that didn't even mean anything he just said them to maybe the defense thinks that it means something when it doesn't you know Right. That's a, that's an excellent point because this quote is just ambiguous enough that yes. Aguano could backpedal and say, oh, yeah, I just played out differently in practice. Like, we didn't even have to get to the game to see how it would play out. Um, and Stanford is, is preparing for, like you said, an offense much more predicated on um, Emory Jones' ability as a runner. Um, and that – gives ASU somewhat of an advantage. You're absolutely right. That could be an angle to this, too. Um, And it would be extremely easy for Iguano to backpedal and just say, whoa, 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 I never said he was going to start the game. It's his job. He lost it in practice. Something like that. You know what I'm saying? Not that he seems like that kind of guy, but this quote seems just ambiguous enough to, to give him the out if he needs it. Totally. Um, and you know what? It could all be – we could be totally overanalyzing this, and it's just going to be Emory Jones, and there's no, like – maybe maybe Trent Borgay has closed the gap, but there's he's still, like, the starter. And, um, you know, people people might question that, but I guess Aguano wants this job, and so he's not going to just give it give the job back to Emory Jones if he doesn't think he's the worthy starter. You know? Right. I, my, money, my money is on Emory Jones starting this game. And we're, I don't think we're going to see Trent Borgay unless Emory Jones starts slow. It's not even going to take like the train going off the rails. I don't even think Aguano is going to let it get that far. It'll be like a, like Jones will be like a starting pitcher. And if it, if, you know, he's got the bases, you know, two guys on first and second with one out, then whatever the football equivalent of that would be, if he's just starting to not be as good. Then before it, you know, crap really hits the fan, I'll put in Borgay and see what happens. But I think right. I would my think my guess would be like two two drives, maybe the offense stalls out or yeah. can only muster a field goal because I don't know, Emory Jones misses a throw, something like that, right? Um and then I think he's gonna see what he has in Trenton Borgay and then at the end of the game say we needed a spark. And then it's going to be the same old routine that it always is when you've got uh, a coach or not a coach, but a quarterback that wasn't necessarily the starter before the game now putting himself in that position. Right. Yeah. And I think Aguano has got to be could you know, might need to be kind of careful here because you don't want either guy to go in and be pressing, you know, and so that, that makes things a little more difficult, but, for all we know, it could just be we look at this season as like, oh, remember the Trenton Bourget game? <laughs> you know, like right. it could just be a one a, a one off thing. And hey, maybe Emory Jones plays in this game and he looks he looks you know looks like he did before he got injured. Looks like he did in the first half against USC. And then we're not even going to be thinking about Bourget if ASU wins you know thirty five to twenty over Stanford and Jones has two touchdown passes and runs for another like. Then it's you know um, then we're not even talking about it. And that's a good point. There's been a lot so. of those games too. I mean, you look back at 
Uh, there was a, a Joey Yellen game. There was a Dylan right. Cole, Sterling Cole game. There was a Brady White game. All these guys who yes. um, have had to play. Dylan and Sterling Cole. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, DSC. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the other guys who have. Well, there's probably a lot. I mean, before pre-2016. Yeah. Um, who backed yeah. up Burko? Was it Brady White? I think it. I think it was. I don't think Burko missed a game because Burko started the 2015 season. I don't. Yeah, think he was. He was Taylor Kelly's backup. But yeah. I was just trying to think of uh, who the quarterbacks were. It would, on probably would have been Brady White. Oh, there's Blake Barnett too, ASU legend. I'm trying. To yeah, think but I don't think he ever. Guys. I don't think Barnett ever played. No, I don't mean like guys who played. I'm just trying to think of like depth charts or like quarterbacks of teams that we covered and. Right. Th- those were some of the prominent names I remember. Yeah, it's weird because Manny just held Manny Wilkins just held on. Manny to that. Wilkins, that well, was I mean, a he, good one. He he held on to that job from he was 2016, 2017, and 2018. Like he, there wasn't like anyone, nobody was good enough to surpass him, or at least the coaching staff thought so. Uh, I mean, Bryce Perkins was on that team, and now he's in the NFL and led Virginia to an Orange Bowl. So Super Bowl champion. And, and Brady White went on to Memphis and played in the Cotton Bowl too. So we had two guys, two guys who were quarterbacks of teams that uh, went on to play in New Year's Six games. Um, I think some of that, some of that's just circumstance. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm not gonna go back and relitigate the coaching uh, quarterback decisions of the final few years of the Todd Graham. <laughs> uh, but it's in, you know what? It's interesting that we have two quarterbacks that I think people feel. Feel like if they're on the field, they're both like competent, you know. Um, definitely, and, and definitely. I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody's gonna be angry that one of these guys is playing over the other. Oh, I think people. I okay. I, I think people will be like. I think a lot of people will want Borgay to play even more so. Like if Emory Jones has like a whatever, the offense goes three and out on some drive. Um, I think you'll see – I mean, look, I'm on social media a little more, more than you, but you'll see people be like, oh, time to put in Borgay and, you know, whatever. Like, the backup quarterback for any college team is always going to be super popular because they don't you, – you don't see them fail as often. Um, right, you know, right. The experience with, with Borgay this year was him being incredible and playing really well against Washington. So um, it's, it should, it's a good storyline to um, watch this whole season. I mean – that's the good thing about this Washington win is like th- this team just even though they're not going to be like that good of a team like they're seal they're absolute like if everything goes right the rest of the year their absolute like best case scenario going forward is going seven and five I would say like if everything goes right that could possibly go right and I don't think that's going to happen I think it's probably we're probably still looking at a six and six five and seven um, but again by winning that game against Washington. In doing it, in having Borgay coming in, now you're like, oh, this team has a like 15% chance to go to a bowl game, or whatever. And it's like, oh, we have a, a kind of a quarterback controversy. Um, so that just kind of adds add, adds a little flavor to, you know, what's been a not fantastic ASU season this far. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. Um, it should be. In, I, I I think. They're going to just have Jones start against Stanford. And, you know, hopefully ASU, you know, maintain, does well in offense. And at the end of the game, we're not even really talking about it. You know, 
Definitely. I was just, I disappeared down a rabbit hole of, um, Blake Barnett's Twitter. Oh boy. Um, which is, which is interesting actually. Um, his header, like his header photo is ranking college football's 10 biggest busts from the 2015 recruiting class. And it's right. number 10, Blake Barnett. It's like a screenshot of the article. Yeah. So, uh, bulletin board material for Blake. I do kind of feel sorry for some of the some of these five star guys. Like they get this label placed on them coming out of high school, and then you go to this college, and people just expect you to be like the savior. Right, right. It's it's unfair. I mean, and they, they don't really have a lot of time either, especially no. if they have to start like right off the bat, and they're not, you know, like even Bryce Young had to sit for a year. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, uh, well, and if. And if they go, like, he went to Alabama, if you go and, like, there's a Jalen Hurts sitting behind you and you have one bad half and then all of a sudden the other guy takes over and it's like, oh, I guess I need to go find somewhere else. It's like No, that's the thing, too. That's a great point is, like, in college football, all of these guys are, you know, you go to Alabama's quarterback room and the worst guy in there was a four-star recruit. You know what I'm saying? Worst guy. But, like, um, that's the thing is, you know, you – if you're the best five star or whatever it is, and you, like you said, you have one bad half, it's like, where am I, where am I going to transfer to now? And then you've got a, a listicle calling you the 10th biggest bust in a recruiting yeah. class. It's, it's, it comes at you fast, but yeah, looks like well, he's it's a, like, it, if you're a high NFL draft pick as a quarterback, at least you had like, people saw you for the most part prove it in, in college. You know, like, yeah. obviously it's no guarantee, but I mean, going from high school to college has to be difficult as well. So it, it's, yeah, I, it, it's weird to be like, oh, I feel sorry for the five-star quarterback who's, you know, like great looking guy and has, you know, all, all, all the girls want him or whatever. But it's like, everyone also expects you to be like the best quarterback in the school's history when you come there. Because right. even if you don't go to a school like Alabama or like a Clemson or something, Let's say you go to a mid-tier school, like you go to a Purdue or you go to a Mississippi State or whatever. Then people are like, oh, you're people, you know, we don't usually get five-star quarterbacks. And so you can come in and be the guy, you know, kind of like yeah, Graham Mertz yeah. at Wisconsin. He was supposed Definitely. to be the guy since Russell Wilson at that program. And he's just been like, okay, or maybe a little bit below that. Um, so it's tough, yeah. but. No, it's, it's, it's wild. And it, I mean, that level of notoriety between 16, 17, 18 years old, your brain is not equipped at right. that age to deal with that level of, or maybe any age. Like when, when do you ever get used to that level of expectation? And it's like Blake Barnett went to Alabama out of high school. That's like, that's like some people's lifeblood is Alabama football. You know what I'm saying? Like right. that's the type of place where, I don't know. People aren't too kind to you if you're not producing the way that you should be. And, uh, you know, having to deal with that at 18 years old and go into a, a room with the best quarterbacks in the country and have to be the guy. It's, it's a lot, but I don't know. It looks like he's, he's a quarterback coach now. He's really steering into this whole, like, I didn't live up to expectations thing, which I think is a little weird. But Yeah, I, I feel like know. if I was that, I would just be like, you know what? I move on. Yeah, he has I left has it out him. there. I got a free education. Right. He has, that, he has, that, has maybe, been. I don't know. That's just me. But. He has been in his bio. Uh, it's, it's like, I, 
Damn, that, it, 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 like when you when you do that stuff, I feel like it's showing that it actually bothers you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, his header photo is I was one of the biggest busts in the 2015 recruiting class. Right. And then has has been in his bio. It's like I don't know. I I feel like I'd want to just turn the page. Um, but then again, I wasn't a five star recruit, so I don't know. If I <laughs> it's have. hard. Yeah, it's hard for us to. Yeah. I don't know if I, athletic profiles, but right. Um, I don't know if I have the necessary uh, perspective to comment. I just, I, I am a, uh, I'm a pretty experienced uh, failure at things, <laughs> um, and I know when I fail at something, I, I'm eager to turn the page and move on to something else. Eager to forget or, it. Yeah. Same. Right. Right. Turn the page and like figure out what I need to do next. Not live in my failure which that's kind of what it feels like but whatever hey if it works for him it works for him right um well i, I actually have another former five-star qb uh, do you remember max brown on usc Ooh, that's, another, that's another big one and he he does the same thing with no the but the difference life. is he th- th- he's at least like I, I from what i can see it feels like he's just kind of he, he just he's 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 a college football analyst for the pac-12 network and he has his own like podcast, and so at least he's like, "Hey, I, I have knowledge about this, and you know, whatever. Like, uh, I'm going to talk about it, and it didn't work out well, but whatever, you know." Yeah. And so, you know what? Maybe maybe he's he's a little less like uh, I'm trying to see. Pardo. Yeah. Um. You know, like the whole I. Oh, okay. You know what it was? Cause I remember like stumbling on this before and he has that Tom Brady video posted. Um, and like has some commentary on it, which I remember this actually being somewhat insightful, but it's definitely interesting, you know, to see those like college guys. And wasn't Max Brown a guy who like actually played like semi well at one point or did he um, never? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember, but. Um, I remember him being a bigger recruit than Barnett was. Like he was like number one. I think I think Barnett was like the fourth five star QB in his class or something like that. But anyway, um, regardless, it's, team a that, very, it's a very interesting like psychological, psychological, yeah. psychological, psychological. What am I saying? Psychological, um, you know, dilemma or conversation to have. Like, how can somebody? write you off before you're even like 22 years old it's just interesting yeah well uh on to a team that is uh pretty unfamiliar with five-star uh quarterbacks and that would be the colorado buffaloes and i know we're an asu podcast but the reason i wanted to touch on what happened with colorado over the weekend is uh well anyway they they beat uh cal 20 to 13 at home in overtime. And the reason I bring this game up is we all year we've talked about, okay, this ASU team, it may not be that good, but we'll be able to beat Colorado on the road. And Cal fans were probably thinking the exact same thing, and they just lost. So I still think ASU should win this game on the road because I think Cal's offense is like – again, I think Cal's offense is worse than ASU's offense. Like, they don't even – it's always been this way with Wilcox, so uh, I think that obviously played into it. But this game shows that Colorado is not just going to roll over every single game, you know. And so ASU can't ASU can't afford to come into that game 
be like, oh, we're just going to win because Colorado sucks. Uh, if they have that attitude, they, they'll either lose or they'll win, but it'll just be like an ugly, like, you know, they fall down 14 to nothing and they end up winning 17 20 type of, you know, type of game. Um, obviously I would pr- prefer that one than actually losing, but I think that game is much more losable than it was. Yeah, definitely. I, sorry, I was still looking at the Max Brown thing. I didn't know he got replaced by uh, Sam Darnold. Anyway. Um, hey, at least he got replaced he by someone who went to the NFL. So. Yeah, exactly. Very, very storied career for Sam Darnold. Um, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I Obviously, Colorado seems to be the most winnable game out of these games on this schedule. They should go there. They should win this game. I think that ASU is right now. Obviously, it's hard to say because it's been, you know, you don't know what team you're going right. to get regardless of who is coaching them. But I don't know. I think they're in a better state now than Cal was going into that game. I think they're, things are trending upward for ASU. They just knocked off the top 25 team. Colorado, I mean, just won a game, sure, but they're still awful. Right. <laughs> it could have just been the perfect storm. I, yeah. I don't really see that one yeah. being very dangerous at all. And, uh, yeah. It seems like just a one-off more than anything. Well, I, I think you could be right, and especially since maybe now that Colorado has a win and the the threat of going 0-12 is gone, then maybe maybe there's a little like easing off the gas pedal because – I mean, these players know that this team isn't good. We've all been on, yeah. we've all been on bad sports teams where you know the deal. And when you're when you're on a team like that, you're like, okay, like we're probably gonna lose to this, you know, all these teams. And then you look at the schedule and you see like one or two teams who're like, okay, we need to get this one, you know, <laughs> because yeah. we might not. And that's probably what Colorado was doing. Grant, uh, they also had the interim head coach, um, so you get you know, the interim head coach bump when you uh, play a new team, but. Um, I think by ASU, you know, maybe some of that will have worn off. Um, and, you know, hopefully, ho- hopefully Colorado I- – I just a- – ASU, I get that Colorado won that game. There's still no excuse for them potentially losing that game. So, uh, yeah, but it's not going to be quite as much of a, like, walk in the park as I expected a, a week ago. So – um, I don't know. I think it still might be. I think I, all the I mean, it could be. That's for sure. Give you a little bit of a discount on the old spread. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, the spread for this game will be interesting to see how like where uh, Vegas judges both of these teams. Um, but one thing, I don't really have much else to talk about. Uh, Some old oh, I did want to touch on you. Yeah. Things. Um, Again, saw a few practice reports, and this was uh, Sun Double Source as well. So ASU looks pretty good on the injury front, um, but Ladarius, jeez, <coughs> sorry, Ladarius Henderson, their left you. guard. Thank you. Uh, their left guard. He uh, he's not. He's probably not going to play on Saturday with the left or with a hand injury, um, and he might be their best, like oh, just their best player. Not not their most important player because he's a left guard, but just maybe just like their best or most like NFL ready player. Um, obviously a very good player. He's going to be gone, so the offensive line kind of getting reshuffled. Uh, you're, you still have Isaiah Glass at 
left tackle and Ben Scott at center. But according to the reporting from Sun Devil Source and others, they're moving over uh, Chris Martinez from right guard to left guard. And then uh, Des Holmes uh, to right guard. Uh, and then Emmett Bowley, who played some right tackle against Washington, played decently well. He's going to stay at right tackle. So I guess the good thing about this is it's not like they have enough decent offensive line depth to kind of withstand a few injuries because Joey Ramos got injured very on in the year. Um, and now Henderson's out of game. We'll just, I don't think Stanford has the stingiest defensive front in the world, but hopefully we're not going like, oh man, you know, that left, we really missed uh, Ladarius Henderson in this game. Yeah. I, O-line is one of those position groups where when you don't have that cohesion like for a lot of groups, it's like you can kind of embrace the next man up thing or, or whatever. Um, obviously there's guys everywhere that are almost irreplaceable, but there's a lot of times where somebody will step up and like perform well. Um, O line is, I feel like probably one of the most difficult groups to do that with. Yeah. Um, just because you have to be, everybody has to be comfortable where they're at. Not only that, be comfortable with the person next to them. And when you're, shuffling around like that a lot and different things like that it's it's hard to build that trust on the fly so it'll be interesting I mean you see it happening with obviously this is an NFL comparison but I mean the Rams are a train wreck right now and they're trotting out a different O-line group yeah. for every game reminds me of the Eagles a couple of years ago too I think it was 2020 where that group changes every game and obviously Matthew's Stafford's completely under siege right now, but it's the same idea with, with any O-line. It's going to be tough to build that um, that chemistry on the fly. Hopefully there's not too much reshuffling re- and, and moving around, but um, it's a hard it's a hard group to um, just kind of next man up it right. for a better time. Right, right. And my hope with this is that all these guys have played this year, you know, Ben Scott right. and Glass are still at their main positions. Martinez is moving from guard spot to guard spot. Uh, the the biggest one might be Holmes because he's more of like a tackle playing right guard. But all of these guys have been on the field this year, and so maybe there's a little bit less cohesion. But remember, they've had the bye week to practice. Yeah, that's true. The bye, the bye will definitely help. And yeah. I mean, it's good that these, these guys, obviously, they have the experience, which helps. It's just the concern of, okay, you know, moving from – the left side to the right side, obviously your your um you know, like the hand that's on the ground is changing and the way that you're moving, the your um right. the yeah. foot you're kicking out is move it's just like um I remember hearing a a, a tackle, um I can't remember what, what level it was, but a tackle compare it to writing with your other hand, moving from like the right side to the left side. I've heard um, it being compared to, you know, wiping your rear end with the other hand. Okay, well, there you go, Mark. Kind of, kind of the same concept, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, um, like, just that feeling of uncomfortability is that they're going to be much of a, a learning curve with, with some reshuffling going on, and especially moving from tackle to guard. You know, your responsibilities change, all of those things. The bye week should definitely help. Hopefully that helped them big, build up some of that chemistry, but – uh, moving around on the O-line definitely isn't easy. For sure. And, you know, maybe one thing is that Martinez, um, 
you know, played most of his career at San Diego State. Holmes was at Penn State. Maybe, you know, they've had them practice at those at those different spots before at their past schools. So maybe it's not the first time they've moved around. Um, yeah, that would, so that, that would certainly be ideal. Yeah. So ASU's offensive line, that'll be something to watch for how they play. And then a little, this is just kind of a, just kind of a little side story for the game, but uh, Aguano actually coached against Tanner McKee the past. Uh, this was back in 2016. Um, obviously, Aguano was at Chandler, and uh, Tanner McKee was at uh, Centennial High School uh, in Corona, California. And apparently, uh, Corona is one of those like nationally ranked type schools. And Where in the Bonte game, perfect went. Oh, he did. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, and in that game, uh, Centennial beat out Chandler fifty six forty nine. Sports three sixty AZ has the story. You guys should check it out. It's pretty interesting. And uh, McKee threw for six or accounted for six touchdowns in that game. So um, obviously, high school football a little different, but it's just that that's an interesting uh, story. I mean. Aguano has literally prepared for this guy before, so uh, who knows? I mean, I'm sure his college film will be much more important than high school, but that's just a little side story. What if, what if, what if Aguano just um, just loaded up the tape from high school and watched the exact same tape? That would not be the best way. That, like, that would not be the best way. <laughs> But, and, and he talks about it in the presser, and he's like, "Yeah, we thought we thought we had everything we needed." <laughs> no, we didn't watch any Stanford film. I already yeah. saw him. No, we just we just watched his high school stuff. And, yeah. yeah. Do you uh, think he'd Do you think he'd still have a shot at the job if he did that? If what? If he uh, prepared for this game strictly by watching Tanner McGee's high school uh, film? Well, ASU. I mean. Uh, he'd still probably be more qualified than the last head coach we hired. So, ooh, <laughs> wow, Mark. Am Am I wrong? Um, I don't know. I don't think Herm ever prepared with high school film, but that's true. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. No, uh, yeah, no. That so that's a little interesting thing, but um, I, it may not even matter. I just wanted to kind of bring that up. Um, a hashtag really cool fact. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, and then one kind of thought that I have that's just kind of been poking around in my brain this while we've been talking is if you are in the camp of not wanting Iguano to be the head coach, and there are people out there that are like, I just want to go get whoever we can on the open market and see what happens, um, then honestly, like, lose, ASU losing one of these next two games helps that mission, you know? Because I think if a, I think Iguano has to go 2-0 and in these next two games for – it to be like a serious, like actually this might actually happen of him being the uh, next head coach. I think it's much more um, microcosmic than that. Like I think it's on such a small, like every move that he makes, every decision he makes in a game is going to be analyzed. So I don't think you necessarily need to root for like losses or anything like that. If you don't, I don't think anybody is taking it to that level. Um, I think there's a, a very likely scenario where Iguano could win these next two games and still not get the job. 
That is true as well. Um, and honestly, the way that college football kind of operates, that feels like the likeliest scenario. You yeah. Know? I, I think there's also, is, there's also a scenario where he wins out and still doesn't get this job. Yeah. Well, that that would be pretty surprising. But um, I I guess my point is is that if he goes 0-2 or really probably even 1-1 one one in these next two games, then I feel like there is 0% chance. Like it just eliminates it completely. Okay, um, that I agree with. I think barring, it's already a slim chance, but that would drop it to zero. Yeah, yeah. Barring, of course, if ASU does get slammed with the uh, whatever NCAA penalties that may or may not even be coming, um, if if the NCAA does drop the penalties and they're like way worse than anyone thinks, personally, I don't think that's going to happen. But if that does happen at some point during the season, and then the, the admins are like, okay, well, let's just keep Iguano until we get out of this. That's that could be the way, but yeah, that's I the just, scenario we talked about last week with kind of the stopgap idea. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. Um, these next two games, I think ASU is the better team in both games. I honestly do, but they're cap- they're still capable of losing both of those games. So not going to have a crazy environment when you go to Stanford. In fact, that's one of the things that kind of plays to Stanford's advantage is like you're just going into this I don't even want to say half empty like three quarters empty stadium and you know there's not an atmosphere and it's maybe you know it's harder to get yourself pumped up for a game you know um and then Colorado you'll just there'll be more of an atmosphere there but there's also the you know playing against like oh this these guys suck we can just beat them yada yada um so We'll see how these go. We'll see that the quarterback situation is something to watch for, uh, the offensive line. And then, I mean, look, I, we should touch on the defense a little bit. Like, this could be an opportunity for the defense to really have a good game. Like, last, like against Washington, that's just going to be tough. I mean, they're just putting a lot of points on everyone. Uh, but even though Stanford's got some offensive weapons, um, you know, Washington sacked them like eight times when they played. And Washington's defense isn't better than our defense, so we'll see. We certainly, certainly will, Mark. We, we certainly will. That was a struggle. I had to fight my way through that. Yeah. Speaking isn't always the easiest thing to do sometimes, my friend. Nope. No. He's not. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up episode 16 of Stomp the Bus. Uh, Please like and subscribe our video. I literally never say that on the show because I always forget. But uh, please like and subscribe and uh, give us reviews on iTunes and all that stuff. All the little things that you can do to help out our small little uh, voice. You're a natural natural salesman. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think being a salesperson would be the last job I would ever want to do. Uh, Yeah, it was one of my least favorite, for sure. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, with that, uh, please like and subscribe and review us on iTunes and all that jazz. And uh, that's the end of episode 16. Colton, you got anything to add on here? Uh, No, just do everything Mark told you to do. Um, Do Otherwise, Mark will get upset and he'll kick me off the show. And I won't be able to eat anymore. He won't be able to afford my salary anymore either. Yeah, exactly. So do it and have fun doing it. 
All right. Uh, well, that's going to wrap up the show. Uh, go Devils and have a nice day.